Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery. This episode is sponsored by PDMA, the Product Development and Management Association. I've been doing a few episodes for them because I'm at their conference. If you haven't heard of PDMA, they're a global community of professional members whose skills, expertise, and experience power the most recognized and respected innovative companies in the world. PDMA is also the longest running professional association for product managers, leaders, and innovators, having started in 1976. I've also enjoyed being a member of PDMA for more than a decade now, finding the resources and network really valuable. Learn more about them at pdma.org. And I am at their conference right now recording this in Orlando, Florida, and interviewing some of the outstanding speakers. The speaker I'm going to talk to presented on the topic, Improv to Improve Your Team's Creativity. How do you think improv can improve your product work in your group? We are about to find out. This is something I've looked into a little bit in the past myself because I have some appreciation for improv and no, no actual ability. So we're going to help each other out with that. Our guest is Seth Greenwald, aka Sherpa Seth. He's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and popular communication coach for creative professionals and technical leaders. He founded a group called Creative Warrior Secrets to help professionals be excellent communicators and increase their success. He holds degrees in mechanical engineering and has served as design lead and senior project manager for many of the nation's largest engineering and construction organizations. Among other publications on communication, he also hosts an online course called Improv to Improve Your A-Game Mindset. And listeners, just as a reminder, if you want to find a written summary of everything we talk about, including a one-page action guide that will have key takeaways that we'll put in there from Seth, you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 419. Sherpa Seth. So where does the name Sherpa Seth come from? Tad, it's great to be here with you in Orlando at the PDMA conference. And I can tell you that I have brought Sherpa Seth with me. That's my moniker. Yeah, I never, when I was a kid, I liked to climb mountains, but they were more like molehills. So I, I haven't climbed Mount Everest. They, they, they look very big when you're small. The mountains look very big. So I've always liked climbing mountains, but metaphorically is what I realized. I really like climbing mountains because Sherpa Seth is your friendly guide up to the peak of communication excellence. And I help people become better public speakers and better impromptu communicators through improv. Excellent. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the nature of improv, right? Yeah. There's, I'm sure, different sort of distinctions on this. There's a TV show I used to love watching called Whose Line Is It? Whose line, line is, is it anyway. anyway? That's it, right? And I guess it's still running. I looked it up in preparation for this, and the last ep- last season is this year. Yeah. But great show where sometimes they would ask for the audience for a topic, and the four of them would be on stage, and they would just improv this whole scene. And it was always fun. You never knew quite where things were going. Tell us what you mean by improv to help teams improve their productivity. Yes, yes. No, I, did I give you an advanced copy of my uh, PDMA slide deck? Because in there... There's the uh, whose line is it? Anyway, I put a video of it in there because it inspired me to become a better project manager through improv. I didn't even know I wanted to do this, but when I saw how they did everything on the spot and on the fly, and I always like comedy, I always like laughing, but I wanted that for my team. I wanted just a tenth of what they were doing in terms of improv for my team because when I'm working at the uh, Army Corps of Engineers or any large organization, there's a lot of silos, right? And people are working in their silos and they never really collaborate, right? They never break out of their silos. 
And I wanted to help them figure out how to break out of their silos. And improv, whose line is it anyway, was my inspiration. Because I was always an engineer. I believe you're an engineer as well, right, Chad? And I was always the guy hiding behind my laptop. I was a designer. I was an engineer. I really enjoyed it. I wanted everyone to go away and just leave me alone, let me focus. But that's not good when you want to be in the world with other people. You need to learn how to speak to people. And you need to learn how to collaborate with people. And I joined an organization called Toastmasters. And they taught me how to present. Like, I would have never been at PDMA without Toastmasters. But Toastmasters stops at a certain point in terms of impromptu communication. They teach you how to answer questions, right? After you present, you have a Q&A session, and it's usually on the fly. But I'm like, what about the other 95% of my day when I'm not presenting? I need to learn how to speak to people, how to collaborate with people. And whose line is it anyway was like such a revelation because they were so in the moment and they were so focused and they were so working together, building something together that I was really inspired to not be a comedian. I didn't want to be a comedian, but I did want to have fun with my team. I didn't want to, ha- I didn't want to be funny, right? A lot of people in, when I speak around the world, they say, do you mean you, we should learn how to be comedians and be funny with our team? No, I just want you to learn how to be, have fun with your team. So that's the inspiration. That's what I mean by improv communication, not about comedy. Yeah, that helps you be a better communicator. And clear, being able to communicate clearly with others is essential to our product work. Yeah. We have to talk about the story behind the problem we're trying to solve in the first place, the expectations, what we're doing. It's not about solve, going back to your, lap, your laptop and solving it by yourself and then, give, then handing it over. It's about doing it in real time, right? Everyone has a different point of view, right? Each team member is coming to the problem from their own point of view. And you have to force yourself to actually organically try to solve the problem with them in the same space, in the same time frame. And it's hard for engineers. It's hard for a lot of people to do that because, you know, we can get into the, the, the reasons why, but it's just hard to trust yourself. What's going to come out of your mouth? Yeah. I, one example for me, right? When I took the Myers-Briggs type yeah. indicator, I was probably maybe a junior in college the first time I took it. Yeah. As I recall the scale, I think it goes from minus 50 to 50 on each dimension. That might be wrong. That's just what I recall. But what stands out to me is I was a minus 49 introvert. Mm-hmm. So that scale is either introvert to extrovert. And apparently I answer the questions almost perfectly to be a 100% introvert. For me, part of that means I'm just very, if I'm sitting in a meeting, I might look like I'm not engaged, but mm-hmm. I'm really probably deeply processing mm-hmm. what's going on, right? That's right. Also, I don't always feel at ease speaking up and sharing what I'm processing and communicating. In the meeting, if someone calls on me, then maybe I might offer something, but I'm probably just not going to jump in. But communication skills that are important in a innovative environment where you're working with others and you're trying to create something new, pretty important to develop. Pretty important, that's right. And I have exactly the same as you, Brad. I took that Meyer Briggs test in fourth grade, and I, I knew, even in my fourth grade brain, I knew I was answering the questions as an introvert, and I knew I did not want to be an introvert. From fourth grade on, I knew I did not want to be an introvert. Why? I don't know, but I knew it in my heart. So taking me, so it took me many years to break out of the introverted mold. A lot of people say, you can't break, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't break out. You're born an introvert. You're going to die an introvert. 
be proud of your introversion. Susan Cain, How to Be a Quiet Successor, has a book. No, I, I didn't want to be an introvert. So what I did to solve this problem is realized that, and this is what I talk about in my uh, talk called Improv to Improve Your Team's Creativity, is that we have two brains, right? The spare par paradigm from the 60s said you have a left mode brain and a right mode brain. And maybe in, in the recent years, we've proven that it's not strictly black and white, strictly left and right. But I like to think about it that way because I like thinking in dualism, right? It's very easy, black, white, night, day. But in any case, left, right. So I realized I was an introvert because I was only using my left brain, which is the analytical slow brain, the critical thinking brain. I realized that if I can access, if I can tap in to my right brain, like flick the switch, people will, I know people like, there's a switch in your brain. Yes, there is. I found it. But if, so if I found the switch to flick into my right brain, I realized that I can become, this is very controversial, but I can be an extrovert by knowing how to access my right brain because your right brain is one million times faster in processing information. Your left brain processes information 40 bits per second. Your right brain processes information 40 million bits per second. So the reason why I felt introverted was because I was always behind everybody, right? I, I, I was slow. I was a slow thinker. But that wasn't, that didn't mean I couldn't break out of becoming a slow thinker. It just meant that I needed to learn how to access the power of the right side of my brain. And that's what I talk about. It's called flow. It's a concept called flow. It's athletes will talk about being in a flow, being in a zone. That's what I'm talking about. Where Why? Everything just kind of slows down, slows down and you have this focus. You lose your ego. Yeah, you're in the moment. Your action and your awareness merge and become one with what's going on, what you're doing. So I realized that if I can do this, why should I have let the athletes have all the fun? Why can't I bring that into the corporate space? Why can't we all enjoy flow? So that's what I, that's my mission to bring flow into the corporate space so people can feel their maximum aliveness, which is something I just came up with this morning. I want the so, whole so reason. This is breaking news. Brand, brand new this Sherpa is, Seth. This is breaking news from Sherpa Seth that the reason why I've gotten into this whole flow thing is yes, because I want to perform on stage. Yes, because I want to feel more comfortable presenting. But it's really because I want to feel alive in the moment. The moment, that's all you have. Reality, right? Reality is only the moment, only the present moment. The past is gone. The future is going to come eventually. But what you really only have is the moment. And if you know how to drop into flow, you got it made because flow is a full body creative experience. That's what I came up with. Okay, flow, tell us that one more time. <laughs> Flow is a full body creative experience. It's not only physical. It's not only cognitive. It's not only emotional. It's also spiritual. If you can find those four aspects within your experience, you have got it made. You, that is the most alive a human being can feel. If he can tap into his flow in four different ways, cognitive, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And that is the reason why I'm on my mission. Because I want everyone to feel alive now. Okay. Being in the moment, being your authentic self, participating with others, right? Yes. Sh showing up, just real. Have the confidence to show up your, who you are. Yeah. My only, the improv experience I'm thinking about that kind of relates is 
my wife gave me this two-hour workshop class, right, that I went to maybe, I don't know, four or five years ago. And it was a great gift because she knew I was interested in learning more about this, largely in part because it pushes me so far outside my comfort zone. Like, this is the scariest thing for me to think about being in a room full of people where we're acting in ways that you're not, you know, you can't prepare for. I think I took away from that. We did all these fun exercises, right? You're in a ring of people and you're going through the alphabet and everyone has to add a word onto the story with the next letter, right? A, B, whatever that word would fit. And so you're pretty engaged mentally and thinking through all this. But all of the storytelling, the takeaway for me was it's the, this and yes approach, yes. right? Yes, so, and. yes and. Yes and. Right. Sorry. Yes and. Where you're taking whatever was given to you, right? There's five of you on stage and you have to build the story together. It started and whatever came your way next, you're taking that. So yes, and you're building on top of it. And for me, in the, the creative aspects of innovation, that sense of let's take that idea that was just contributed and how do we make it better? And let's keep doing it. How do we make that better? And how do we make that better? And also not being satisfied with the first thing, because frankly, the first thing is probably not the best thing. It's the yes and add to this and make things better. Using some improv tools, maybe the state of flow that we want people to be in be better communicators. So all of these things are contributing to help us be more creative, kind of your real focus. Walk us through either like maybe an example to help people, you know, just be, practice some of these things to be more creative or if you have more tips to, to share. Yeah. No, you, I think you got it with the, the yes and was a mind blower for me because it's just two words. Yes, being the listening part, right? The all, I call it all in listening. You're not thinking about what you're going to say, how you're going to respond. You're just there in the moment listening. Listening is so very difficult because you have all these thoughts in your head that you want to get out. You want to win. You want to win the argument. You want to win the discussion. This is the competitive nature of Western society. This is what we're taught. This is what we're taught. Socrates, Aristotle, one of them taught us that's the way we should think 2,000 years ago. It's the argument based. I have an argument. I have a proposal. We smash. We find the facts that support those arguments and one person comes out the winner. But that's not what improv is all about. That's not what yes and, that's what not teamwork is all about. That's not what collaboration is all about. Collaboration is, like you say, accepting what is given to you with a clear mind, an empty mind, and building on it and going over and over. It's an iterative process. You don't know where it's going to wind up. You don't know the end result. You might have an idea of where the arrow is going to go in a general sense, but you don't know exactly where it's going to go. And that's the exciting part for me because we are in the moment. We are alive. We are building something together. And you can do improv. You can do creativity alone and you can do creativity together. And improv helps me to do it with someone else, right? It's called group flow. There's a solo flow where you can do yourself. And then there's something called group flow. And group flow is enabled by improv. And improv is enabled by just having that yes and mindset, which I call the we go mindset, right? You have to go from the me. You have to go from the M-E-E-G-O, okay. well, -E that's what Aristotle taught us. Me, it's all about me. I want to win. I'm very competitive. One person comes out, I don't even want to hear you. I don't want to hear what you're saying. But you have to go from the me-go to the we-go attitude, right? Me-go to we-go, where you are open. You open yourself up to whatever is happening in the moment. And what's happening in the moment is what is your partner's idea. Whoever you're speaking to, you cannot just stop it. You got to listen to it fully. It's not something that will come to you 
right away. You have to practice this. You have to practice emptying your mind. It's very much about meditating. It's very much about, it's all about being in the moment because the moment is all that we have. It's a different approach to how most of us are wired or we have experienced. Yeah. So if we're on a innovation project, we're coming up with what the next version of the product is going to be, or maybe a brand new solution to a customer's problem. And I likely, if I have any insights, especially if I'm the one that had the original insight with the customer, I have some predetermined notion of how we're going to solve this, especially wired as an engineer. I'm going right there to solve the problem. And as I'm engaged with you on my team, and you're talking about, no, I don't, I'm not sure if it should be like that. Maybe part of that, but how about this thing? I'm already judging in my head because I think I have the path. Ego gets in the way here and and experience too. I I remember this one exercise team building experience where a lot of people have done this before. You have the list of what should you take with you if you're on a deserted island, yeah. right? And it's a list of 30 things and you're supposed to rank order them, right? And then you do it with the team and mm-hmm. say, okay, what should you take? And everyone contributes, right? Is. I, mine was about near perfect when I did it myself yeah. and the team was lower. It's like, oh, we didn't score as well. And so that reinforces my ego and says, sometimes I, bet I come up with better ideas myself, yeah. right? And so I have this experience and through education and everything else that says, man, sometimes I just come up with their ideas. So I'm not, I don't, I know I should listen to you, but I don't really want to listen to you. So this is not a subtle change going from me go to we go. Mm. Help us through this a little bit, because I think this is challenging for a lot of people to say, how do we really be in the moment and get out of our way of thinking about it and appreciate how others, what their experiences are to bring to the table too? Yeah. No, you're so right, Chad. It is not it's not easy. It's not the easy to go from me go to we go. One of the concepts that I teach is that you have, again, going back to the left brain is very good with analysis and critiquing and judging. And the right brain is very good at holistically understanding the situation, right? Intuitively grasping the problem and creating, creating, creativity bubbles up from the left, the right brain, the subconscious. So one of the ideas, the main ideas I teach, the main principle I teach is that you have to create before you critique, right? You got to create before you critique because our brains are trained to judge, right? Our brains are changed to judge. But if you don't have anything to judge, what's the point? So I, other than whose line is it anyway, I like those America's Got Talent. I like the voice, right? And there's always judges, right? There's always judges. And there's always a lot of contestants. And we want to be a contestant because we want to win. But what we really want to be is one of those judges, right? Because they're not competing. They're judging, right? They're judging. It's really about them. The show is really about the judge. So it's natural to, to use your left brain first and judge because it feels good to judge. It feels good to be the person who is picking the winner. But like you said, it, it is not an easy thing to drop into the right brain first before you use the left brain because it's so ingrained in us to use our left brain first to critique first and then create. But it doesn't work that way, right? Because if you don't have anything to create, you can't critique it. So the main principle of what I'm saying is to create and then critique. It's just, it's a typical creative problem solving diagram, right? Where you have to, you have four stages, right? Where you, the first stage is defining the problem, right? Making sure you're focused on the right problem, solving the right problem, right? And then the second stage is the divergent thinking stage, right? Where we come up with a lot of alternative options, right? A lot of alternatives to solving that problems. We don't know which one we're going to choose yet, right? We're not judging. The whole point is to stay 
maintain a sense of order, go from problem solving to divergent thinking and then to convergent thinking. All right? You can't mix up the two and three stages. You can't mix up the creation stage or the, with the critique stage because it'll be a mess. Your brain doesn't like that. And the reason why I was never a good public speaker, I was never good in speaking up in, 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 in meetings. I think a lot of our audience has the same, may have the same insight because I was always critiquing my ideas as I was coming up with them. So at a certain point, I was like, I'm not even going to say anything because that's a stupid idea. But your inner critic says, Oh, no, don't even, don't, that's stupid. That's a stupid idea. But you're in it. You have, so you have to learn to corral your inner critic, your inner, your negative voice until after the second stage, after the creativity stage. Does that make sense? Yeah. Especially as product people, if we do the same thing everyone else has always done, we're unlikely to offer any real competitive advantage and, yeah. and new value for the customer. Yeah. And we do have to think about things differently. The, I think what's hard for me personally, and maybe some listeners can relate to this. If we know we're doing a brainstorming exercise of some sort, however we structure, right? We know we're going to have this diverging exercise first. Okay, let's just throw out ideas. I'm not judging them. I get that. And then we're, we'll have some mechanism to refine these and mm -hmm. do some selection. But if we're just having the conversation, right, about what comes next, yeah, there's many times in a product development cycle where, where there might be new information that really does matter. And if I already have it in my mind, like, I know what the vision is. We're not going to deviate from that, but I know what we're doing next. And that seems firm to me. I'm probably not really listening to you actively. Yeah. I'm wasting an opportunity because mm -hmm. you may be bringing a perspective that is really helpful. Yeah. Where I am at the Army Corps of Engineers, we're very good with that waterfall mentality, right? We're upfront. We define the scope. We talk to the customer, right? And we define the scope on every stage of the way. We, the and the scope is locked in, right? The budget is locked in. The schedule is locked in. We just went through that last week, locked in. And we can't, it's hard to change, right? It's hard to deal with change, like you're saying. New, but, and new information is always coming in. And I think the agile approach, right? The agile project management methodology really helps us to use the new information so that a customer can figure out what they want the end product to be and allow change to happen as new information, as new data, as they see the iterative product. So uh, we're big on talking a lot about hybrid, right? Combining the waterfall and the agile approach at Army Corps. And we're really excited to be able to go down that path because what's the only thing constant in life? So we have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of this is leaning on improv principles to really help us be more present yes. in the moment, yeah. working towards finding more flow yeah. for if we're in flow, we're enjoying what we're doing and we're being more productive. Yes. And maybe that involves integrating our brains a little bit more. Yes. And the Army Corps, good example. Do you have another success story to share with us of helping an organization or individuals change how they approach problems and become more creative? I try to do this all the time. I don't have any special sessions that I'm saying I'm going to do improv simply on our calls, our weekly calls, our team, our, we call it the PDT, the project delivery teams. We get together either in person or on Zoom or WebEx, and we always talk about how we did, what are we doing. And we, at the end of the day, it always seems like we're going to go back to our offices, and then we're going to come back next week and tell everyone what we've come up with. But I say, no, why don't we put our cameras on 
and try to solve something right here in the meeting. Why, why do we want to go back to our silos? Why do we want to go back to the team that only is focused on one aspect of the problem, one viewpoint of the problem? Why don't you use the people who are on your team who are multidisciplinary? Why don't we use that to make the problem, the solution, the best it can be? Because we're seeing it from many different viewpoints, right? And that's the essence of improv, being able to allow the input from everyone who's in there and build something together because it's coalescing, it's melding. All the best of everyone's ideas are merging and or organically, and there's no clear leader, right? There's no clear leader in an improv. Follow the follower is a big concept in improv. It's also a big concept in follow the follower. There's no one, you don't have to have, you don't need a boss, right? You don't need a boss in your team, on your t project development team. You just need, everyone needs to treat each other equally and with respect and understand that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to come out of this, but you're doing this because you enjoy teamwork and you enjoy playing with your fellow teammate. You enjoy having fun, right? You enjoy having fun. It's as if we were fourth grade on the playground, right? In the sandbox. Play nice with your fellow friends in the sandbox. It all comes back to that, right? Just playing nicely with people. That's all it is. So in, in our next virtual team meeting, is there some exercise that we could introduce into that team meeting to just help people practice follow the followers, to have a little fun together, help free our minds a little bit for some well, added creativity? Simply, I would just say keep the two words in mind, yes, and keep those in mind. You don't have to say them out loud, but understand what they mean. Yes is the all-in listening, and and is responding and building to whatever that you've heard. You have to, you accept it as reality, you accept it as the other point of view, you don't judge, you just use the yes and paradigm. You can say it in, out loud. Many improv beginners say yes and. Because it prompts your brain to think in a different way, in a more collaborative way. So by all means, if you need an exercise, do the yes and exercise. Yeah. And I find it interesting, I, especially in a group environment, it seems like you can always substitute the word and instead of but. Because uh, but seems to close off the conversation and the train of thought you're going down. But and, even if you're using and in a contrary sense, it still feels like you're adding to it. Yeah, it's very added. But it's like a wall that you uh, you take. You're taking it to you're in a different tangent, right? You're, you're, the whole point is to build something in a similar direction, right? You might not know what the direction is at the beginning, but after a while, you get an intuitive feel on where you're headed. But when you, if you put a but in, that takes you off the path that you are on. So, oh, yeah, don't right. So don't use the but. Don't use no, obviously, but always use and because that's collaborative. That's building. That's organically creating something together. Yeah, you, I think you, you got that right. Okay, that's a great suggestion and takeaway for us. So just put that into practice. Remember the yes and approach. Feel like you're contributing, collaborating, carrying things forward. Exactly. But you're not winning. It's a group it, effort. It, the group wins. The group wins. It, it's like where we started, right, with the TV show, Whose Line Is It? It feels like a good scene yeah. when everyone had a part of the story and together they made this new thing that came out of it. Yeah. And they all feel good about that. They all good. My favorite acronym is TEAM, right? T-E-A-M. Together, everyone achieves more. 
that's project management for you. Product management. It's so hackneyed, but there's no I in team, right? There's no I in team. Very good. Help. Thank you for helping us think about how improv can influence our teams and improve creativity, help with performance. How can listeners find out more about the work you're doing and resources you have? Absolutely. It's an exciting time, Chad, because I am so excited for improv that I created a course on Zoom called Improv to Improve. Find your flow. And my next course is starting 11123. It's as easy as 11123, January 11th, <coughs> 2023. I'm assembling my next small, bold group of creative explorers. And we're going to do some improv on Zoom. It's been incredibly successful. I would love to um, invite your audience members to be part of it if they wish. It's all Zoom. You can be in Italy. You can be in Croatia. You can be in New York, wherever you are. It doesn't matter. You can wake up in the middle of the night in Australia and do the Zoom with me. But it's, I invite your listeners to come, come on board and climb to the peak of public speaking excellence or communication excellence with Improv to Improve. Excellent. That sounds like fun. And where can we go find out more? You can go to my website, creativewarriorsecrets.com backslash improv, the number two, improve. And you'll see the curriculum and the agenda for it's a five-week course. And it's every evening, every Wednesday evening for five weeks, starting January 11th. And, Chad, if anyone from your audience here tells me that they are listening to this and heard this from your podcast, I will give them a big discount for joining my Improv to Improve Very nice. class. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And it's just been a pleasure to talk about this a little bit. I'm thinking about things that are maybe outside of the foundational field of product management and other tools to help us just be more successful in the work that we're doing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And improv and flow will help you be the best you can be in the moment. So I encourage you to contact me if you want to what we're preaching here. So thank you very much. Right. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for being a speaker as well. And for listeners, if you do want a written summary of our discussion, as well as links to those resources, plus that one-page action guide with key takeaways that you can put into action right now, I'm sure you're going to see the yes and approach. Simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 419. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.